This podcast is brought to you by Proton Dealership IT, the cybersecurity and IT experts committed to keeping your dealership safe from cyber attacks. To learn more about how to better protect your dealership, go to info.protontex.com fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. I'm Jake Neer with Automotive News in Detroit and for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Toyota pours billions more into its North Carolina battery plant. We'll get a look at how the strike dented Stellantis' profits, and Tesla could be the UAW's next target as it seeks to expand organizing efforts. Plus, our own Michael Martinez talks about how, despite having reached tentative deals with all the Detroit three automakers, the UAW still has a big hurdle to clear. We're starting to see a little bit of online chatter where people aren't too happy with this deal, even with a 25% raise, cola, et cetera, et cetera. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota is more than doubling down on its U.S. battery plant being built in North Carolina. The world's largest automaker announced an $8 billion expansion that it says will bring its commitments there close to $14 billion. Toyota says it will also boost the anticipated job total to 5,000. The company says its investment in Toyota battery manufacturing North Carolina is its largest in a single project in North America. It quintuples the number of battery production lines dedicated to electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids from 2 to 10, vastly expanding planned production capacity to more than 30 gigawatt hours annually. Another four lines are under construction to feed hybrid vehicles for a facility-wide total of 14 battery assembly lines. Meanwhile, Toyota's global sales climbed more than 8% in April to September from a year earlier to a record 5.6 million vehicles. That puts the world's biggest automaker on track for another year of strong gains, thanks to robust demand and improving supply conditions. Global production in the fiscal first half rose 10% to a record 5.7 million units. Sales of Toyota and Lexus brand cars rose 22% in Africa, the highest among all regions, followed by 17% in the Middle East, as well as 9.4% in North America and 7% in Europe. Stellantis says it has been least affected by the UAW strikes against the Detroit Three. The company says its pre-tax operating profit was damaged by less than $800 million. It says the strike cut revenue by the equivalent of about $3.2 billion. Still, third quarter revenues rose 7% to nearly $48 billion. The increase was mainly due to higher volumes, stable pricing, improving logistics, and robust demand for models such as the electric Jeep Avenger. And after making history with lucrative tentative contracts with Detroit 3 automakers, the UAW is setting its sights on expansion. 
During a recent live stream on Facebook, UAW President Sean Fain has made clear where he'll direct his energy next. One of our biggest goals coming out of this historic contract victory is to organize like we've never organized before. When we return to the bargaining table in 2028, it won't just be with the big three, but with the big five or big six. Several major automakers, including Toyota and Volkswagen, operate major auto plants in the U.S. that employ non-union workers. But there's one particularly enticing target for the UAW, and that's Tesla. It's the most valuable automaker in the world and employs tens of thousands of non-union workers across California, Texas, Nevada, and New York. Tesla's roughly 20,000 worker plant in Fremont, California, currently has a UAW organizing committee whose members are talking to co-workers about the advantages of collective bargaining. That's according to a person familiar with the efforts who spoke with Bloomberg News. The person says the UAW has committed to providing whatever resources are necessary for the campaign. The union didn't respond to a request for comment on its spending plans. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, we'll take a closer look at the tentative deals between the UAW and the Detroit Three automakers and how likely they are to win approval from rank-and-file members. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Email phishing happens every day. Cyber criminals are out to trick your employees and coworkers into handing over valuable information that can compromise your dealership through impersonations, fake giveaways, and urgent emergency requests. All it takes is one click to shut down everything. Phishing is the leading cybersecurity concern for dealerships. Without the proper training and protection, your business is left vulnerable to ever-evolving attacks. One day you click an email, and the next thing you know, you get a call from your IT guy. Your email has been compromised, shut down immediately. Stories of attacks and their consequences come flooding in every day. And all it takes is one click to shut down your dealership. You have enough to worry about as it is. Don't add getting hacked to the list. Let Proton Dealership IT help ensure you are fully protected and learn how at info.protontext.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. 
a more militant and strategic UAW clawed back more value for its members than experts thought possible and than automakers wanted to give up. That comes after months of bitter negotiations with the Detroit Three. But the process isn't quite over yet. Michael Martinez covers the UAW and Ford for us at Automotive News. He wrote a column on autonews.com titled, The UAW Won Historic Gains from the Detroit Three, But a Big Hurdle Remains. He and I spoke about the contracts and whether they're likely to win over a majority of rank-and-file UAW members. I reached him at his home office in Detroit. Mike Martinez, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me. Just to repeat it for the hundredth time, it seems like we're doing this, uh, you know, multiple times a week uh, now with all of the UAW news coming in. Uh, but really appreciate your reporting and and staying on this story. Let's start with the fact that we now have tentative agreements with each of the Detroit three automakers. I mean, this this is a pretty remarkable point that we're at. Uh, can you talk a little bit about? Uh, just sort of the high level stuff, what 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 we're seeing in these three contracts and maybe uh, the differences uh, between them. We're seeing a lot for workers. I think that's the bottom line. These are really, really rich deals and we can get into the chance of them passing or not later. But just from the high level, we've reported this even before they were confirmed, but there's 25 percent raises across the board for all workers across all three companies plus cost of living adjustments, which when you put in the estimates of what inflation should be over the next four years, those raises jump to 33%. So pretty significant. We're talking top pay of 42 bucks an hour compared to 32 today. So that's that's significant. And it's most significant for a lot of the younger workers and temporary workers who are starting making 16 an hour, 18 an hour, They'll be jumping up quite significantly, even immediately upon ratification and then over the course of this contract. So the wages are huge, but you also have things like the right to strike over plant closures, which is a huge tool for the union if the companies do, in fact, try to close some facilities moving forward. If you talk about differences between the contracts, Stellantis has one key component that's pretty notable. It may have flown under the radar here, but So Ford and GM both have right to strike over plant closures. Stellantis has that, and they also have right to strike over investments and product commitments. That's really big because often throughout the course of a four-year contract or four and a half years in this case, economies, economics change. The companies will try to change investment dollars that they had promised or say, hey, well, maybe we're not going to put this product here. Maybe we'll delay it a few years or what have you. Now, if they do that, the union has a very powerful weapon in its arsenal to fight back. And that may make the next four and a half years really contentious, really tough if the economy does change. But it's definitely a big victory for the union. Also, in terms of differences, we, we've we talked before about Belvedere, new life for that plant, new life for two plants we didn't even know Stellantis wanted to close, but apparently they were trying to shutter Trenton Engine and Toledo Machining. They have new product, more jobs than they wanted <laughs> to give up initially. So there's some slight differences, but by and large, a lot of good things across all three companies. Well, and and to reiterate a little bit about Stellantis, the fact that 
um, these plants are coming back in Belvedere. They, they didn't just win keeping that facility open as a parts warehouse or something like that. They actually won new product. I mean, that is pretty remarkable, is it? These are going to be great jobs. It's a midsize truck. It's going to be two shifts, apparently. And they also won a new battery plant. So if you talk about the future, seems like that site is set up pretty well. So what about the companies, you know, flipping this to their perspective, uh, obviously workers very happy, but what does this mean for each of the Detroit three in terms of their ability to invest in the future? That was a talking point that the executives were saying over and over that, you know, we have to stay competitive. We were in a time of really heavy investment uh, and we need to keep that up. Uh, so, so what is the, what's the fine point on what this is going to mean if these are ratified? It's going to be a challenge for the companies. They're going to have to figure out something to offset these costs or keep other costs under control. And that's exactly what Ford's CFO, John Lawler, said last week after they reported earnings, which was after they announced their agreement. He said, you know, we'll still be a profitable company. So maybe some of that conjecture about being financially viable or even being able to survive was a little hyperbolic there. But he said, listen, we're going to be a profitable company. We just need to watch our costs and boost our efficiency. And especially for a company like Ford, that's hasn't been easy in the past few years. They've struggled with basic car building tasks like quality and warranty costs. They need to get those under control. They need to make sure their EV bets are smart and pay off in terms of profitability. So if that's the case, you know, over the past couple contract cycles, 2015, 2019, even 2011, Ford in particular spent more money than it promised and it added more jobs than it promised. Those days might be over because these costs are going to rise so significantly. I think Ford said it's uh, expected to increase labor costs around 900 bucks per vehicle. So that's a lot. So they're going to have to do something different. Maybe those days of giving the union more than it promised are over. You might see the companies just stick right to what's in writing down to the penny and down to the job. But at the very least, they're going to have to figure out something because no company likes to see their margins squeezed by higher costs. So you have a column on autonews.com right now. Uh, that says the UAW won historic gains from the Detroit Three, but a big hurdle remains. Sean Fain has said this while announcing each of these three tentative agreements that the highest authority in the union is the union members and that, uh, you know, they, he, he's sort of kind of saying, we humbly submit this to you to, uh, or to ratify or not. So I guess that begs the question. Uh, how big a hurdle is this going to be to to get ratified for each one? I think it's going to be a huge hurdle, mostly because of Sean Fain. We've talked on this podcast before throughout the summer and into the fall that he really sent member expectations soaring. As soon as he put out those member demands, it was 40% raise, cost of living, pensions for everyone, 32-hour work week, return of a jobs bank. Now, a lot of that, I think every expert will agree, uh, it was pie in the sky, wishful thinking. And honestly, maybe it was used to get leverage for the more realistic demands. If you're at the bargaining table and say, OK, well, we'll drop the 32 hour thing, but give us a little more 
in raisins, right? So who knows what that strategy really was, but some members actually thought they were going to get everything. And we're starting to see a little bit of online chatter where people aren't too happy with this deal, even with a 25% raise, cola, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that may just be a very small portion of angry members who are, you know, trolls on Facebook or Twitter or X, whatever it is. But, you know, I, I think there is some validity to the fact that these members had sky high expectations and Sean Fain didn't deliver on every single promise. So I would assume there's enough in this contract for enough members to have it pass. They just need 50% plus one of the voting population to ratify this agreement. I think there's enough, but I still think some people are going to complain and some people are going to vote no. And if it's a significant portion, Sean Fain may only have himself to blame. It's sort of the double-edged sword of transparency when you're negotiating, right? That I know a lot of members appreciated being able to see what the what was on the table, what the demands were, all those things. And that was a, a sort of a, a, a check in Sean Fain's favor. Uh, but at the same time, it also, like you said, uh, it means that expectations are are set uh, with every single sort of step of the process. And uh, yeah, and, and you know, you noted the uh, online chatter. Um, you know, I was watching one of the live streams recently and saw that uh, there was, I mean, if you watch the, the YouTube comments, I mean, lots of people saying, vote no, vote no. And, you know, we want our, our full pensions back and all these things, um, you know, and it makes you wonder if it's a real sentiment that is shared by, you know, a very large portion of union members, or if it is sort of that, you know, sort of very loud minority of people who are really unhappy with this. I guess I guess we won't really find out until the voting happens, right? Yeah, there's always a portion of members who vote no on principle. And to be honest with you, they have, you know, there's some recent precedent that, you know, they 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 may be onto something with that strategy. If you look at what happened with John Deere back in 2021, I believe they voted it down twice and they ultimately got more in the final deal that they ratified. You look at what's going on with Mack Truck right now. They came, Sean Fain signed, and other union leaders with Mack Truck signed a tentative agreement for a 19% raise. I don't believe they had COLA in that TA. That was voted down, and one would assume they'll probably get better terms. So some members think, hey, just vote it down and we'll get more regardless. And yeah, we're fine. We'll go back out on strike for a couple of weeks and maybe we'll get 30% raises or maybe we'll, we will get more pensions uh, or more into the existing pension plans, if not pensions for others. I just don't know if that's going to happen in this case. It would be very tough. And also you have to keep in mind the schedule. Ford's up first here and they're, they'll be voting through probably mid-November, the latest uh, vote date so far I've seen is November 12th. It'd be really tough if they voted it down and had to go back out right before Thanksgiving. In your column, Mike, you said that there's even some conjecture floating around that Sean Fain actually could want the Ford workers to vote down their contract so he could squeeze the companies for even more. What's what's going on with that? Yeah, I, you know, again, you get into internet conspiracy theories and <laughs> I, I don't know how much stock you should put into it, but 
some people are pointing out that, hey, if you watch his video announcing the Ford deal, he mentioned like three or four times that the members are the highest authority and it's up to you and it's up to you guys to send this back to us or send it forward. And in their mind, that was code for him saying, hey, vote it down and we'll get more for you. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, it is true. The members get to vote. I think he needed to be clear about that. I don't know that there was some ulterior motive behind that. It's another interesting, uh, interesting wrinkle in and sort of perception issue out there. Uh, but uh, Mike, what what else should we be looking for as these uh, these contracts come up for ratification votes? Um, anything that we should be keeping in the back of our minds as uh, this all unfolds? I'm just curious to see how the voting goes kind of plant by plant. I think, as I said before, there's enough in this contract for enough different voting blocks, whether it's temporary workers, new hires, whether it's certain plants like obviously Belvedere, Toledo Machining, Trenton Engine on the Ford side, Louisville Assembly was a big question mark. They now have product. I would assume those would be big yes votes, but it's just always interesting to see if you have a plant that is largely legacy workers, longtime workers, will they vote it down because they didn't get enough in their minds that they didn't get pensions, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it'll be interesting. It's almost like election night on CNN or MSNBC where you have the magic wall and you have Steve Kornacki breaking down the votes. I'll be fun. I'll be watching that. We'll be <laughs> reporting that as much as we can. But yeah, there is light at the end of the tunnel here. If the members vote for it and once it's in, I think they really stand to see some some life changing benefits. Michael Martinez covers the UAW and Ford for us at Automotive News. Mike, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thank you so much again for joining us on Daily Drive. Thanks, Jake. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to our own Larry Valquette for his reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on the UAW's ratification process, sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.